0: Good morning. Uh, my name is Lawrence Aja, and I'll be doing one of the, scrip- the scripture reading for today. Uh, today we'll be in the book of Romans, the 8th chapter, 1 through 4 verses. So if you have a paper Bible, please take it out, the four of you. <laughs> uh, if you have an iPhone Bible, and, or if you have an Android Bible. <laughs> and if not, uh, we'll have it on the screens to the left and to my right. This is the word. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Because Christ Jesus, but because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit." This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everybody. My name is Jordan. Um, I am one of the pastors here and super grateful to be with you guys uh, this beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, so growing up, uh, my parents were pretty involved in the church. And from time to time, they would take me and my brother along with them on a weeknight to uh, go to a meeting. And it was one of those nights when my pops had like a trustee meeting or something or something. And my brother and I, we were about eight and 10 years old. We were running around the church having fun. And I came up with this brilliant game where we would take a piece of paper towel, light it under the oven's pilot light, and then run down the stairs. Mom and Dad, I'm sorry, you're gonna learn some things about me today that you might not be too proud of. And I went first, because it was my idea, and I lit the, the paper towel like a little torch, ran downstairs, children, if you're listening, this is never a good idea and I made it outside, victorious. I had done my first lap. My brother, who is way stupider than I am because he followed my lead in this, uh, he does the same thing. He lights the paper towel, running down the stairs, and as he is running down the stairs, my dad is walking up the stairs. Uh, My dad had one of these looks in his face. You know when your parents are not even mad? They just had a smirk like, oh, no, I'm going to get you later. (laughs) Like their minds are starting to just fantasize about all of the ways they're going to inflict pain in your life. And I looked at my brother, and I just said, goodbye, goodbye. This is, thank you for letting me play with your G.I. Joes. Uh, They'll be in good hands because you're going to be shipped to a boarding school for pyromaniacs, I'm sure of that. Uh, The whole car ride home, though, was really, really awkward. One, I knew my brother was about to get it. But on the other hand, I was thinking like, yo, is this dude going to snitch? Is he going to rat on me? Is he going to try to lessen his punishment by saying, yo, but Jordan is the main reason I did it. He did it like three times in a row. I, I only did it one time. Is he going to rat? But uh, shout out to my big brother. He took one for the team. You know what I'm saying? He didn't, he didn't snitch. Even when it, snitches get stitches, he didn't uh, turn me in. But it was a really, really weird feeling to know that you have done something wrong, like objectively 100% wrong, and you weren't gonna get punished for it. To know that your parents were the punishing type of people, that if they found out, yes, you were gonna get it, but you, for whatever reason, were going to escape punishment. For the next couple of weeks, I kept on feeling this low level of guilt and anxiety that one day my dad was just gonna just be looking at my bed in the morning like, Good morning. I know what you did a couple of weeks ago, my friend, um, and it feels really good to be getting this off my chest 30 years later, it feels <laughs> cathartic actually, it's it's a pretty great feeling. But to feel like you have done something and you were going to escape judgment, punishment, almost felt like it shouldn't happen. It's a foreign feeling because the way our world works is good things should happen to good people. Bad things should happen to people who do bad things. And this is the way that our entire world works. Not so much with Christ. As a matter of fact, the entire New Testament is devoted to the principle that Jesus Christ, our older brother, took the punishment that we deserved. And that though you and I are guilty of many, many offenses, you and I could escape judgment, punishment, and all of these different things. And Jesus takes our punishment even though he didn't deserve it. It's not that he is equally culpable and he takes one for the team, but Jesus is the one that didn't do anything and took our punishment. Now, this principle is so counterintuitive and so hard to grasp that New Testament writers have devoted a great deal of their writings to get this idea and this theme across to us. Uh, don't believe my word. Listen to what it says in Scripture, 1 Peter 2 and 24. It says, he himself bore our sins and his body on the tree, which is the cross. So that, having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounding, you have been healed. First of 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He, God, made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the gospel that Jesus got what you and I deserve, punishment, and you and I, through faith in Jesus, can get what he deserved, which is a relationship with God. Now, it's a really tough uh, concept to grasp, as I said, and I want us to turn to Romans 8 and 1. It's uh, the, the, the chapter of Scripture we will be in for the next couple of months, and this is a phenomenal passage of Scripture. Uh, no matter where you are in your Bible reading, no matter where you are in understanding the Bible, this one chapter could tell you so much about God and so much what it means to be in a relationship with God that we're going to just be hopefully mining this field and getting some good stuff out of it but we're going to be living in verses uh, 1 primarily today, and it has this really beautiful truth, one that you're not going to believe. Uh, you, you might agree to it mentally, but in your heart there will be a piece of you that just says, this is too good to be true. Here's what it says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There is no punishment. Uh, the, the literal translation of the scripture reads like this. In light of all of this, No punishment at all will fall on those who are in Christ Jesus. No punishment at all will fall on those who are in Christ Jesus. Now the first word in this sentence, therefore, is uh, pointing us back to something. uh, All the seminary professors will tell you this one truth. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you should look to see what it's there for. Why did Paul write this sentence? What is it there? What is he referring to when he says, therefore, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus? Uh, We can back up a couple verses. And Paul is here not saying, he is not saying that Christians are better than everybody else and they live better lives. And therefore, since they're better than other people, they avoid condemnation. That is absolutely not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I have done a whole lot of messed up stuff, I'm a messed up dude. I deserved the punishment, and Jesus has taken it away. In Romans 7, this is what Paul says, and a lot of you might be able to resonate with this. He says this, For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. So I discovered this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and taking me prisoner of the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Here's what Paul is saying. There is stuff that I want to do. There is stuff that, objectively, I have said to myself, this would be a really good idea if I did this, and I don't do that. On the other hand, he's saying, there's stuff that I know is wrong. There's stuff that I absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, know is wrong, and that's what I do. Paul is referring to here something called the sinful nature, and uh, Paul includes in this chapter a phrase uh, calling something this great body of death. Now, a lot of commentators will agree that when Paul says, who, uh, he said the line, who will save me of this body of death, uh, he's talking about an ancient uh, torture principle that if you were to kill someone, they would attach, they would tie the body of the person you killed to you. And your punishment would be to carry around the dead body that you had killed. And eventually, you would be killed through suffocation and bad breath and all these other things. Uh, dead people don't breathe, but it smells bad. And essentially what he's saying is this. That he is so aware of his sinful nature, it almost feels like he's under this sentence of him carrying around everything that he's ever done. He's carrying around this awareness of his shortcomings. He's carrying around this awareness of his failures, and he asked the question, Who will rescue me from this great body of death? Thanks be to Lord, our, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is hitting on something which uh, a lot of us in this room uh, may or may not be too... Uh, Uh, receptive of at first glance. It's something called our sinful nature. Now I I have to say from the outset that what Paul is talking about here is not a license to just do whatever and blame it on the uh, 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 alcohol. He's not just saying, hey sorry I got my sinful nature, silly me, I messed around and stole embezzled money from the church. That's not what Paul is saying. He is not advocating not having self-control. He is not advocating not having boundaries and accountability and all these different things, but here's what Paul is saying. In comparison to God and God's purity and God's holiness and God's morality, he sees himself in a much different way. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. If you stick around God long enough, uh, you'll get different periods in life where you get that awareness of just how far you are away from God. Uh, I got one of those awarenesses a couple years ago where I was meeting with a, a guy who was a human lie detector. Anybody ever see that show, Lie to Me?, on USA. It's, yes, it's a good show. A Lie to Me was based off of a character named uh, Paul Ekman. And Paul Ekman has worked with the CIA and worked with a number of organizations to basically be a human lie detector. He uh, had his PhD and created this whole study of micro-expressions. And here's what micro-expressions are. No matter what words are coming out of your mouth, your face is telling a different story. So just by looking at you, he can tell whether or not you're lying. I had a chance to meet with one of his students, one of the men that studied under him. And uh, before I went to meet with him, my friend was like, oh yeah, he's a great dude. Um, By the way, he's a human lie detector. That was the longest hour of my life, meeting with that dude. Uh, He was like, how you doing? I'm like, yeah, pretty good. I mean, not not that great because, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) My wife wanted me to take the garbage out. I didn't do it because the Uber was two, two minutes away. Um, And I I didn't want to get a bad rating, you know what I'm saying? So I'm doing all right. But I should have taken the garbage out, if I'm being honest. And he was like, all right, dude, you know what I'm saying? Hi, nice to meet you. (laughs) It wasn't until I was face-to-face with having to be completely honest that I realized how dishonest I could be. It wasn't until I had to be perfectly honest, or else this dude would be able to read my face, read the micro expressions, and know that I was not being fully truthful, that I said to myself, man, I really am not as truthful as I could be. Same is probably true with you. There's things that you probably should say that you don't say. There's things that you leave out just to kind of cover over things a little bit. And the closer and closer I get to God on on a wild uh, array of fronts, the more we start to see the contrast between us and God. And this is what I think Paul is doing here in Romans 7 when he talks about what a wretched man that he is because the closer he gets to God, the more he's realizing how imperfect he is. Uh, I don't know if you um, have ever gotten dressed in the dark. Um, Next to my side of the bed, there's a pile of clothes that mentally in my head, they can get one more wear out of them. At least one more. My wife, she's a wear-it-once-wash type of person, not me. I'm a conservationist. I I look out for the environment, and I want to maximize the amount of times I can wear something. This shirt is the first time, so if you hug me in the lobby, don't worry, I'm good. And sometimes I'll put on a shirt or a pair of pants, and in the dark, it looks great. looks good to me. Put them on and go outside, and when you stand under 12 noon sun, You start to see imperfections that you did not notice at 5 a.m. in your bedroom. Because the nature of being in the light exposes all of the imperfections in a much better and brilliant way than you could have ever seen at 4 a.m. Here's the deal. The closer you and I get to God, who is light, in him there is no darkness, you and I will start to see imperfections in our life. And that might make you say to yourself, what a wretched woman that I am, or what a wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this great body of death. So Paul isn't saying this because he hates himself. Uh, He's not saying this because he has a a complex. He's saying this because as he comes closer to God and God's perfection, he realizes all of the ways that he doesn't measure up. Now, I realize that there are at least two camps of people in this room. Uh, The first camp of people that when I read the scripture, there is no condemnation. You were like, yes, Jesus, thank you. I needed that word because you have a PhD. You have a black belt in beating yourself up. Um, and it doesn't take a lot to move you in that direction of knowing that you're wrong. Uh, maybe you've, you might have even gone too far in that direction to where uh, you just beat yourself up and you can't even pray three sentences without just telling God how terrible you are. But I also know that there are other people in this room who, and maybe if you're not that religious and you don't think that you're the religious type, you don't get all of the fuss about why Christians would call themselves so bad. Like, you haven't killed anybody. You're not a Patriots fan. Like, why should you feel so bad? about yourself. And here's what I want to say to you on that front. It could be that you're not measuring yourself to the right person, but here's what I also think it is. I think that when you and I do stuff and don't experience immediate judgment, we start to think that, that what we were doing was okay. That if you do something and you get away with it and the heavens don't open up and lightning doesn't come down and strike you, then you might be doing, you're doing okay and maybe God is not that mad after all. But here's what I want to say. Just because there's no immediate justice or judgment on it doesn't make it right. Uh, this past Monday, I played hooky from work, and me and Aswan uh, went to the National, Basketball, uh, National uh, Basketball Hall of Fame Museum. And it was great. We got the chance to see all of the trophies and argue about Jordan versus LeBron the whole way up. And Aswan drives like he learned how to drive on Linden Boulevard in Brooklyn. Uh, Aswan drives like a New Yorker through and through. Um, he cuts people off. Uh, he has, he's an aggressive dude when he's driving. And Aswan is driving, there we go. Uh, he's driving like a true Brooklyn, Brooklyn boy. And he, he's leaning, we're listening to 90s hip hop. We're having a great time until we see a cop on the corner of our eye. And seeing that cop in the corner of our eye, Aswan immediately went 10 and 2, turned the radio down. <laughs> put on gospel music, started singing, how great thou art, Lord, how great thou art, save me, Lord. And when you, st- when you see the potential of uh, a- the authority figure in your rear view mirror, it starts to make you reevaluate all the things you were doing up until that point. There will come moments in your life on this, in this land and the next to come in which you and I will come face to face with that authority of God. But it doesn't mean that just because you're coasting around and having a good time now, it doesn't mean that you were behaving everything perfectly. It just means that there was no, nobody caught you just yet. Maybe you don't see yourself as a person even deserving of condemnation, but maybe it's because you, uh, you've been coasting, around, coasting along this ride of life. But if those sirens were to light up behind you, you might think about things a little differently. If life was to hit you a little bit, you might start to question whether or not you're living things in the right way. But here's, here's the good news. It's not to, uh, to drive you to depression, but it's rather to de- drive us towards solution. And this beautiful description of what Paul says is, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. See, the gospel is not an either or. It's not either you're bad or um, you, or, or God loves you. It's a both and. Uh, Tim Keller says it like this, that the gospel is that you and I are more sinful than we could ever imagine. But yet, at the same time, we are more loved than we can ever, ever dare to believe. More sinful than you ever want to admit, more loved than you ever want to imagine at the same time. So this beautiful truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus remains. And it's meant to drive us toward appreciation and gratitude in Christ now, I know there's always people here, and there's, uh, I live this way in a lot of ways, that you still don't believe it. It sounds good. I, I see what the Scripture says. But what does it really mean that there's no condemnation for me? Because I know I've done stuff. I know, I've, I know that there are things that I should have done that I didn't do, and I know that there are things that I should not have done that I did do. So what remains for me? So Paul says it in verse 1, that there is no condemnation For those who are in Christ Jesus, and uh, this is a really beautiful statement because here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that condemnation is removed as a possibility for anyone who has placed their faith in Christ. He is not saying that if you follow Jesus, Jesus will take you on a path and teach you how to navigate around condemnation. He's saying there is no condemnation. I've been doing research on uh, war torn countries and there's a lot of countries in which there were entire fields and acres and acres and acres of minefields in which uh, people, thousands of people have died and been injured seriously by stepping on a mine. And usually when we think about the concept of condemnation we think that the way that you and I have to live is that we have to follow the beaten path uh, that people have walked on that teach us that there's no mines on this path and that we can avoid condemnation. And this is not what Paul is saying. He is saying that the condemnation that exists has been completely removed. He's saying that Jesus Christ doesn't give us a path around condemnation. He's saying he went in and he demined the field, and there are no more mines in the field. And now you can walk around the field as freely as you would like, because Jesus has walked. Uh, He has removed all of the condemnation From us, even as a possibility. And I know it sounds too good to be true, but this is what Scripture is trying to get to us. There is no condemnation. It's not saying you won't experience it. He's saying it doesn't exist. If you're a thinking person, you might be thinking, well, if that's the case, why do I need to apologize for anything? Why do I need to confess? Why do I need to say sorry for anything that I've done? Uh, And I want to turn your attention to a, a really popular Scripture because I think it lets us in on a cue of what Scripture is trying to get to us. Um, In 1 John 1 and 9, it says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look at that verse. If we confess our sins, what does it say? That God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I've never fully understood this scripture up until a couple of days ago where I was reading these words that God is faithful and just. It doesn't say that God is faithful and merciful to forgive you. The basis of forgiveness is not God's mercy. God's mercy was in sending Christ. The basis of God's forgiveness of you, the basis of you avoiding condemnation is not based on God's mercy, but it's based on God's justice. Here's what this means. When Scripture says that Jesus Christ himself bore all of our sins on the tree, on the cross, it means that Jesus Christ has taken all of your sins and put them on the cross on him. And it would be unjust for God to double charge. Growing up, you know, I would try to tap both of my parents' pockets for allowance money if I, did the, if I cleaned up around the house. And I don't know what the going rate is for allowance these days. Is it an iPhone 10 for a teenager? Is that what the rate is? Myra, is that what it is, iPhones? But growing up, I would get like $5 after doing backbreaking labor for like 12 hours. And sometimes I would try to like tap both of my parents' pockets, like, yeah, dad, can I get some money? Knowing that my mother had already given me something. And that's just unjust. It would be unjust to be paid for something twice. When we appeal to God, uh, for forgiveness on our sins, it's not on the basis of God's mercy. It's base, its on the basis of God's justice that Jesus Christ has completely paid for all of our sins. God made Him who was who knew not sin to be sin, so that we could become the righteous, righteousness of God. And condemnation is removed not because of God's mercy, but rather because Jesus has paid for it all. Now that requires that you and I actually believe that Jesus Christ uh, has come to to pay for our sins. Um, but it's a beautiful truth that I don't think we can stress enough. To be a Christian, to follow Jesus, to place your faith in God, means you are placing your faith in what Jesus has done, not in what you do. It means confessing your sins for sure, but it means taking your confidence from yourself and putting it on Jesus. Jesus is the one that we're talking about that is able to free us from condemnation, And um, it's not based on uh, just how well you have done, but rather putting our faith in him. And I I was wondering and thinking through this this past week, but like, all right, that sounds good. It sounds theological. It sounds pretty deep. Uh, But how does it happen? Like, how does Jesus actually take it away? Like, what does this actually look like? Uh, And Scripture tells us in verses two and three, it says, because of the, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was weakened in the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. Now, Scripture says there are two laws here that we're talking about, and Paul has given us his contrast. On one hand, you have the law of sin and death, and on the other hand, you have the law of the life of the Spirit. Now, the law of the sin of death, sin and death, although it sounds pretty intense, it basically means this. When you sin something dies. When you sin, something dies. Here's how I I wanna uh, prove it to you guys. You don't have to be a Christian to, to get this. You don't have to have memorized books of scripture to understand this. In every single relationship that you have, when someone sins, a piece of that relationship dies. There are plenty of people in this room who have experienced fractured relationships with their parents, with their loved one, with their spouse because someone did something in the relationship to uh, to fracture it, they sin, and then a piece of that relationship died, trust died, intimacy died. When you and I sin, uh, the next eventual outcome of this, this has nothing to do even do with the spiritual realm. When we sin, something dies. And here's what Paul is saying here: the way forward is not the law. Paul is saying what the law could not do. If you, if I mess up in my relationship with Jessica, or if I mess up in my relationship with you as a pastor, and if I've been embezzling money to buy throwback jerseys with them, um, I don't know why I thought about that concept. That was like, in 2000, I would have been doing, I would have been loving throwback jerseys. If I was embezzling money, and I lost your confidence as a pastor that I was uh, behaving in a way that was inappropriate for me to do, the way forward is not me saying, you know what? From this day forward, I'll be honest. The way forward is forgiveness and grace. The only way that you and I could enter into a relationship again is if you forgive me, is if you extend me grace. Scripture here is saying that the law of sin and death has been overcome by the law of the spirit of life, which is forgiveness and grace. Here's how uh, 2 Timothy 1.9 says it. Uh, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and Grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. The way back into a relationship is not through the law, not through uh, trying your best going forward, but it's rather God accepting you in through forgiveness and grace. And this is what God offers to us, free of charge, free to us and not for him. And God is saying in the scripture that the law of the spirit of life overcomes The law of sin and death. And the best way I know how to describe this is uh, if you're a a traveler and you hop on a plane, uh, when you're on that runway, there is a law existing on this world called gravity. If you drop something right now, gravity demands that it will hit the ground. Now, there is a way that you and I could travel through the sky at 500 miles an hour eating roasted almonds as we complain about the speed of the Wi-Fi. And gravity has not ceased to exist. It's rather that gravity has been overcome by a more powerful force. When scripture says that the law of the spirit of life has overcome the law of sin of death, he's saying, this is what he's saying, grace is more powerful than sin. Romans 6, the more as sin abounds, grace does much more abound. What shall we say then? Uh, all throughout the scripture, it gives us a recitation of the power and the profundity of grace. It is a more powerful concept. It is a more powerful force than our sin and our death. So God offers us uh, a freedom from condemnation based on uh, his power, his forgiveness and grace that we can freely receive. Now, in verse 4, uh, we see something that is uh, what I feel to be a really profound outcome of what happens and what it, what it means like to live in light of no condemnation. And, and I think it means that you and I could live freely with God. I, I am obsessed with uh, murder dramas and documentaries and docu-series. And if you have any recommendations, please let me know when we get outside in the lobby. Um, but I, I love the concept of, you know, I love trying to figure out if, if they did it or if they didn't do it. But I was watching one recently where uh, uh, someone was wrongly imprisoned for a number of years for something that they didn't do. Um, And when they were condemned to jail, they went in a rich person and they came out dead broke. When they were condemned, they had no access to all of the riches that that they had in their life. And here's why this is so important. This is why it's so important for you to get that there's no condemnation in your life. There is no spiritual vitality. There is no access to the riches of God's grace if you're still feeling condemnation. If you're still locked in a cell of of defeat and condemnation, it's impossible to experience the riches and the depth of God's love for you. So Paul starts his chapter by reassuring us that as hard as it is to believe, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 4 tells us, in order that the law's requirement will be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How is it that you and I walk this out um, and experience it? Uh, Scripture here lets us in on a little clue about what it means to walk according to the Spirit. And we'll get to what it means to walk in the Spirit a lot more later in this chapter. Uh, But let me just say this for now. I don't know if you like having people stay at your house Uh, My wife and I actually love to host people. It's one of the things that we enjoy. Don't ask to stay with us because we'll say no. But um, we love to host out-of-towners to come and stay with us for a couple of days. And we promise everybody, you can come, you can stay with us, but we'll never go to Times Square. I don't care how badly you want to (laughs) go. But something happens when you welcome somebody into your house. You have to change. You have to adjust the way you're living. You can't just have, um, more recently... Uh, my wife and I uh, had, to, had a couple in, and normally my son, my older son, if he's crying, we're like, yo, let him cry it out. He can cry as long as he wants to, but we're not taking him into our bed with us. But when we have company, we have to change everything about it because we're considerate of other people, so we don't want him to be waking everybody else up. So it changes everything about us. We're more aware of the dishes in the sink, and instead of just saying, we'll let him go until tomorrow morning or next week or next month, uh, we actually clean them up. Here's what Paul is saying, what it means to live by the Spirit. It means that your life should be full of conviction of the nearness of God, but free of condemnation. Full of conviction, but free from condemnation because God's Spirit is living inside of you, uh, letting you know how near God is to you, and that should have an effect on your life. But this blessed truth remains, there is no condemnation for you, for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a verse that I want you to memorize. And I want you to say it over yourself and to recite it over yourself over and over and over again, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's an end of that phrase, which are two really powerful words, which means um, for those who are in Christ. And what does it mean to be in Christ? It's actually a really powerful phrase that is said over 160 times in the New Testament and that whenever scripture writers referred to the people who follow Jesus, they talked about people being in Christ. In Christ, and they never said the word Christian. Christian is a word that people from the outside describe people at as, but Scripture has always defined us as in Christ, and it's a really important concept that you get this. Uh, one of the best ways I know how to describe that is, um, you guys remember the a couple years ago when the airplane landed on the Hudson, and uh, the captain, Captain Sully, you know, hit a bird of plane, hit a flock of birds, and um, landed heroically on the Hudson River. What happened next right there were all these rescue boats that went out to save the people who were in the freezing cold Hudson River Um, and here's what it means to be uh, saved in that context it meant that there was a boat that would protect you from all of the external circumstances and it was driven by another person uh, that was going to take you safely to your destination to be in the boat was safe to be in the boat was free from the, the, the freezing water. To be in the boat meant that you were directed by a, a captain, someone who knew where they were going and was going to take you to safety. But to be outside of that boat meant that you were in the nasty Hudson River, uh, uh, in danger of getting hypothermia. To be in Christ means that you and I are free from external circumstances that can harm us and that our lives are being now driven by Captain Jesus who is taking us to safety. There's a story in scripture where Jesus is with his disciples, and he says this one phrase that is so powerful. He looks at them, he says, let us go on to the other side. For everyone who places their faith in Christ, this is what Christ uh, assures us. Let me and you, we are going to go to the other side. I'm going to walk with you, never going to leave you, never going to forsake you. And I'm going to take you, transport you, free from all external circumstances, and put you on the other side. And here's how someone accesses this salvation by simply raising their hand and saying, I need help. I need to be saved from these conditions. I realize that on my own, I can't do it. I can't swim two miles to safety. I can't make it in this freezing cold water. There's no power inside of me that could overcome the the stuff that I'm in and to trust the person coming to rescue you that they can actually uh, save you. To become a Christian is not take rocket science. It means simply that awareness that, God, I cannot save myself, and Lord, I trust you to save me, and that's all you need to know. We say it often, but I would love nothing more than to uh, make sure that all of us in this room have really thought about whether or not you have truly placed your faith in Christ, and if you... Don't know where you stand, we would love for you to fill it out on the connection card and drop it off at the info desk. Talk to me or talk to one of the other pastors here. We would love to walk with you through that, what it looks like to place your faith in Christ. And for those of us who have done that, how do you actually experience this on a day-to-day basis? All right, Jordan, this is great. No condemnation, but Tuesday, I'm going to be feeling condemnation. Here's what I know to be true. Um, one of my Passions in life now is I go home and I watch beard care videos on YouTube. It's a whole thing We can talk about my favorite channels later and one of the things that uh, this one guy said that was so profound was that if you're going to go swimming in Chlorine or salt water it could harm your hair and natural sisters. This is for you, too Uh, It could it could harm your hair And if you want to prevent your beard your hair from being contaminated from the salt water or for the chlorine first you have to wash your water, wash your hair in pure water so that it absorbs the the good pure water and that itself would prevent it from uh, absorbing the contaminated salt water or or chlorine. And here's what I know to be true. So many of us experience on a day-to-day basis the contamination of condemnation and it's partly because we haven't washed ourselves in the Word. For the next eight weeks, here's what I want you to do. If you're new to church... I want you to do this once a week. I want you to read through Romans 8. I want you to get to a quiet room, and I want you to read it in its entirety. If you take your time, it might take five minutes. And for those of you who are a little further down the road, here's what I want you to do. Every single day, I want you to wash yourself in Romans 8. Five minutes in the morning. Wash yourself on a train, and uh, wash yourself in this truth, and watch what it does to prevent the contamination of condemnation from entering into your life. And I want you guys to go online and tweet about it, the Romans 8 challenge. And I want you guys to encourage each other to to read and to wash yourself in this word because this is the freedom that God wants us to experience. And the only way we will experience it is if we wash ourselves in this truth. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, you know the the different things that make us feel condemned about what we have done or what we haven't done. Um, And God, I just pray that that wonderful truth that there is no condemnation will make its way into our hearts and our lives. God, would you remind us that your spirit, your grace has overcome the power of sin and death. We can rest in that. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.